runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 95 with guest John Bokaroff. Recorded Thursday, January 15, 2009. Run As Radio is produced each week by Plop Productions. Providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash run as radio. You're listening to Run As Radio. I'm your host, Richard Campbell. With me, as always, my co-host, Greg Hughes. Hey, Richard. How are you today? I am fine. First trip of the year already uh, out of the way and looking towards the MVP Summit and the madness that will be March. Very cool. Yeah, it's, a, it's an endless process, but I'm not complaining. Lots of good things happening these days. Yeah, this is the time of year when I'm sitting around working and you're off traveling. As uh, You travel quite a bit more than I do. I travel enough, but you travel a lot. Yeah, you, I usually get you roped into my things in the fall when we start doing the big shows. Yep, yep. So let's uh, let's jump right into the show because I've got a topic we've always wanted. Uh, uh, talking to John Bokaroff from Microsoft. John is the program manager for Microsoft's IIS media team. He focuses primarily on designing, and delivering smooth streaming and other related media server technologies. Welcome, John. Thank you. Hey, John. I'm glad to be here. We bumped into each other at Tech at EMEA, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yes, that's right. In Barcelona. Yeah, and and oddly enough, uh, way back at the beginning of of doing Run as Radio, one of our topics that people were asking us about was the streaming media technologies that Microsoft has. Uh, they, I mean, they're certainly popular. You guys are are everywhere, but it is very much a specialty, isn't it? Uh, in a way, um, one of the nice things is that it's a piece of technology that most internet users will be able to relate to and understand. But uh, it, it takes a very uh, special set of people, and it's really interesting to see um, how often we wind up working with the same groups of people and the same set of experts on creating wave after wave of these technologies. Right. It, 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 because you have to have this mindset around the, the whole concept of streaming media or, you know, that kind of data. It's a very, the data sets are large and, and they, you're sending huge chunks of data to individual people. It's an interesting problem, different from a lot of other problems. It is very different from a lot of problems that you solve on the web. Um, and I think you've hit the nail right on the head in that you need to send a lot of data. And very many of the challenges we try to solve is how do you get people the best experience possible when it's not always easy to send all the data you want to send. Yeah. So you wind up spending a lot of time thinking about, well, how do we compress this information as efficiently as possible um, how do we present users with a rich amount of metadata about what it is they're watching, you know, and mm-hmm. what's the best way to optimize the connection between the client and the server so that people get the best experience they can. And uh, one, of the, one of the biggest challenges that people have always faced is that there's a, a broad spectrum of last-mile connection speeds. Right. So even in an enterprise network, you might have somebody who has a direct link to their corporate network you might have somebody in a branch office. You might have somebody who is trying to view the content over a wireless router. And so all of those people are going to experience very different characteristics of how they download data. This is not just about the bandwidth on your end of the network. Uh, on, the, on the end user's end of the network, correct. And once you get into the, in, into the web space, of course, it just, it just completely breaks open. 
in that you have some people who have now, I believe in the U.S., 20 megabit DSL, and they right. say, well, I want the best experience now because I'm paying for all of this great bandwidth, right? And by the same token, you have some people on um, on sort of much older generation technologies and, of course, people roaming with their laptops trying to connect over wireless networks provided by the carriers and whatever else. And once again, there's great variability over that, that last mile between the Internet and the user who's trying to uh, watch or listen to this content on their screen. I, I remember using Windows Media Technologies to encode content and stream it out. Um, mm-hmm. I think the first time I used it, and this would be probably eight years ago, used it in any, in any real business sense, was to um, tie together international offices for the purpose of uh, like an all-hands company meeting. And trying yeah. to get it and going through the intricacies of encoding multiple different bit rates on one stream and, and whatnot. I, I haven't used the current version of Windows Media Technologies to, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but I'm really excited and interested to find out, you know, what's better and what's changed. Okay, great. So I can talk to you a little bit about that. Um, and as, uh, yeah, what you're describing is basically one of the core scenarios of enterprise streaming is, being able, trying to bring all of these employees together, whether they're, you know, several thousand employees at one side or everybody in the company, however they happen to be distributed. Um, and one of the big promises of digital media is that enterprises can save a lot of money instead of having to shuttle people together and rent these massive spaces every time they need uh, to have a broad meeting. Sure. They can basically get a panel together and stream them to everybody's desktop or laptop, wherever they happen to be, so that everybody gets the same picture. Now, one of the challenges you mentioned, of course, is having to encode at a variety of different bit rates for a variety of different audiences. Right. Um, and so when we talk about um, how this technology has evolved, Windows Media, of course, is incredibly prevalent in the enterprise today, um, has been around for, for quite a while. And the way that people used to do this is create several different versions of their stream. So they would say, well, we're going to we're going to say that if you want to watch this you really need 300 kilobits. So we're going to create a 300 kilobit stream, maybe a 500 kilobit stream and a 700 kilobit stream. And then um in the past the challenge has been that IT pros have had to put together basically ways of detecting the right bandwidth for the right users and making sure that people got the right link or sending everybody out links and then pushing that burden to the users who then have to say, well, what kind of bandwidth could I sustain? Right. And one of the challenges that's led to is sometimes people would say, well, I think I have a very fast connection. I think I can handle a 700 kilobit version. Um, and so they would start that stream, and then something would happen to their network in the midst of the operation, and it would drop out, mm-hmm. it would buffer, and it would stutter, and they would have to restart at a lower version, and they'd have to watch the rest of the stream at a lower version. So sure. there, were some, there were some pretty painful experiences in the past. Yeah, I, I I can remember having to send out multiple different links for different and and just as you're saying, people would say, "Well, but I didn't want to get it in the lower quality. I wanted to get the higher quality." And uh, it was right. just a, it, it was a bit of an ongoing battle. People eventually learn, but there's a lot of pain in the process. Exactly, and so that's from a user experience standpoint. That's exactly where smooth streaming comes in. Um, smooth streaming happens to be the way that we do. The broader set of technologies for this is known as adaptive streaming, and smooth streaming is the IIS implementation. Um, okay. And so adaptive streaming is all about having that set of bit rates throughout your entire content 
But instead of you picking a particular bit rate and trying to view it throughout, basically you have a feedback mechanism where your client is constantly monitoring what is the bandwidth I can sustain and what is the processing power I have in order to be able to decode and render the video. Right. And then getting the video from the server at the best quality you can actually handle, given your network and, um, and, and local, local rendering conditions, at mm-hmm. any given point in time. So if you start at a very, at a very high bandwidth, um, and one of the nice things is that it opens up some, some bandwidths that before were not possible just because such a small fraction of the users could actually sustain it. Right? So now you can start thinking about having a 1.5 megabit stream, a 2 megabit stream for people who have really fast connections and, mm-hmm. um, lots of screen real estate. And the algorithm will basically say, well, right now you've got plenty of network, you've got plenty of rendering power. So we're going to go ahead and give you that 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 best stream, and then if some some way down the line there's a network glitch, or uh, the machine is occupied doing something else so it can't render that really high mm-hmm. bitrate, it'll very seamlessly and transparently to the user drop down to a lower bitrate that it can gears, download so and speak, decode. Yeah. And if later those conditions improve, it'll jump back up. Hmm. Interesting. So in the so in the bad analogy world, it's the uh, it's the uh the transmission, the automatic transmission for streaming, if you will. So it'll, it'll shift gears and and make the adjustments for you as you drive along. I don't think that's a bad analogy at all, actually. I, I, I think I think that's that's actually that's actually yeah. So all you do is you push on the gas. You just just keep driving driving down the freeway, and the transmission takes care of uh, what gear you need to be in. Well, and an interesting truth here is that when you get into networking spaces, like uh, I think in, in internal networks sometimes get saturated with these sorts of things, where more and more people in the office start watching that stream, and uh, bit by bit you get switches that are overwhelmed, and being able to drop everyone down a notch so that everybody can get at least some experience is pretty compelling. Right. Right. How so does the client know? How does the client know? Is there a network measurement that takes place periodically, or what? What happens on the network side? That's I can see where you know the the uh, what resources do I have available on the hardware? I can see where a software client could see that. But how I can think of several ways to maybe try to look at the network. How how does that work? Um, really, the concept we use is called perceived bandwidth. So we we basically are constantly, obviously, downloading the stream, and we don't try to explicitly detect what's going on. We just measure how many bits are we getting. Okay. And based on that, we determine, we use that to calculate what the next bit rate should be. Yeah, so a very empirical measure, it's really how much you got, irrespective of whether the, the NIC was choking or the switch is choking or the internet connection is choking. It doesn't matter. What did you get? Absolutely. And one of the nice things is, is it's a self-correcting system in the way you've described. So coming mm-hmm. back to your nightmare scenario of everybody starts getting the high bitrate stream, the network gets saturated, the network gets low. Well, the perceived bandwidth on all the clients goes down. They say, I want one megabit per second, but all that's coming to me is at 600 kilobits per second for whatever reason. Right. So I'm going to make a decision and start playing the 500 kilobit stream. And just seamlessly drops down. So this is actually part of IIS. Do I have to buy this, or is it just part of the package? Um, this is available as an optional uh, module for IIS, or will be soon. IIS 7. IIS 7, right. So if you have IIS 7, which, of course, comes with uh, uh, Windows Server 2008, mm-hmm. any SKU, including the web SKU, right. you can go to IIS.net um, when this technology is available and get uh, a uh, download a free download 
that will integrate directly into iOS 7 and enable these media experiences. Well, so obviously cool. there's some intelligence here on the client. So what clients work with uh, with uh, adaptive streaming? Uh, absolutely, and uh, that's that's um, that that's a great point. What we do is we we leverage Silverlight. So Silverlight also has this this great ability to have a an application package that's built by the user or by a third party. So instead of having to in a way, lock people into a particular client implementation that might be then really difficult to update. The server can update the client algorithm as often as you need to. Right. So basically, what, what we make available with IIS is a reference implementation that runs within Silverlight, and it contains some of the heuristic algorithms that I've described um, and, a ho- and a whole bunch of other pieces that are, that are just designed to make the solution run out of the box. And so... Um, the nice thing is that, that that application package gets downloaded dynamically. So if ever you decide that maybe the standard heuristics aren't applicable to your network, maybe a newer version has become available, right? It's a simple matter of posting a new package, and the next time your clients reconnect, they're going to re-download that extra package for Silverlight, and these things tend to run in about the hundreds of kilobytes. So the download mm-hmm. is, is, is very lightweight, certainly compared to streaming media content. Um, and the the player effect in effect uh, instantly updates itself. Cool, right? Well, because the alternative would be Windows Media Player, and then you need to deploy Windows Media Player updates to all of your users. That's right. That's right. Um, and I can't stress enough how useful it is, um, especially as as we're just. I I would say that adaptive streaming as a technology is not quite mature, and that we haven't you know, tested all the permutations and done all the best practices. So um, we put together a demo deployment with Akamai at the end of October at a site called smoothhd.com. And mm-hmm. the feedback that has come back and watching what happens when you expose that technology to a broad range of users, you know, who are all over the world, they have all sorts of different connections and all sorts of different hardware. The feedback that com- comes back and allows us to optimize the system even in one month you know, we've we've made some 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 pretty pretty useful updates in the past two months based on the feedback we've gotten from customers. Um, so the ability to update these algorithms for what you actually see in the real world has already proven itself to be immensely useful. So I guess the other part of adaptive streaming has got to be the feed. Can you are we only talking about pre-processed video files, or can we actually do live stream? Like I have a camera on a site and I'm able to adapt on the fly. How different is all of that? Uh, it's, it's, it, it, well. And what, one other way to ask the question might be, what's the difference between this and using the full-blown Windows Media Services that's available as well? So Windows Media Services, I would say right now, the IIS Media Serving Capabilities and Windows Media Services are complementary technologies. In that one of the greatest things, um, and I'll certainly from an IT perspective for Windows Media Services, and we keep getting this message loud and clear, um, is its resiliency. It just works, and it just runs, and, you know, it's stable and runs like a rock um, right. for doing these media scenarios. Um, now, Windows Media Services today will not do adaptive streaming. Right. You pick, so, the, you pick the bandwidth that you're using, and that's that. That's right. That's correct. Um, there, there was a, an earlier, you might call it precursor technology, called Windows Media MBR, where right. people would encode the Windows Media at multiple bit rates. Multiple bit um, rate, But yep. some of the challenges have been in, in exactly the problem of when do you switch, how do you switch. The switching wasn't very smooth, um, and it was, it was good for downgrading, but 
traditionally we saw that it had real challenges in getting you back up to a high-quality stream. Yeah. So if if customers, you know, just need to stream Windows Media and they have a, maybe an existing solution that already solves these bandwidth detec- detection problems, Windows Media is there for that, and Windows Media Services is great. Um, for people who want these types of new experiences, we're making uh, IS Media available. And uh, a couple of other things that we've done on the IIS media side is to optimize for progressive download scenarios. Okay. Um, so one of the biggest problems with progressive download has been, uh, ironically enough, excess bandwidth. So what will happen is that, is that customers, if, so if, if let's say that, I, that you start downloading a video that's encoded at 500 kilobits per second, um, right. and you really have a megabit per second, so you're going to download that video much faster than you need to in order to play it back. Right. Uh, the typical pattern that we saw is that people would download the entire thing. It's a background process in the browser. They wouldn't think about it. It would just download. Um, but they would only watch 20%. So that other 80% effectively represented wasted bandwidth. Right. So we uh, have developed a feature called bitrate throttling. And what bitrate throttling will do is it will actually automatically detect for 11 common media formats what is the encoded bitrate of your video, and then give an initial burst to make sure that the client doesn't have to wait to start up. So you make the startup as fast as possible. Right. But after you get that initial burst, it'll only deliver the bits at the encoded bitrate. So that if somebody has really watched only 20% of the video, they've maybe downloaded a little over 20%. That 20% plus the fast start burst. Cool. And so that, that, helps, that helps you save bandwidth, that helps keep networks unclogged. So that's that's the progressive download side is another uh, another case where you'd want to use IIS. Sort of a clever way of I mean, really thinking about what bits do you need and how you lose eyeballs. Good good balance between making it really good, get that good burst for the user in the beginning, and then keep it keep it reasonable for the provider. You know, after that quick burst there. Yeah, uh, but I want to go back to your question about live. Um, once we we've been. Uh, so we've made this press release with Akamai at the end of October, and we've been talking to, um, obviously working on integrating our technology with their network, which is always an exciting challenge, but also talking a lot about uh, to early adopters and potential early adopters. Um, and some of the most immediate feature requests have been, this is great, we want it for our live streams. So that's definitely something that we are actively looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my experience of dealing with folks who are doing, trying to deal with live streaming, of course, is there's no such thing as live streaming. It's some many seconds behind the live experience because you simply have to. You've got that camera receiving the data, and then there's a processor there that has to encode it and then pump it out. Processing and buffering, and yeah. But it's and it's just a question of how many. What's the number of seconds offset that you've got? But the tolerance to failure there is so low, and the horsepower it takes to encode, especially when you're coding four, five, six different formats of stream, to try and keep all that up, it's arduous. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and what's really what's really exciting is talking to people who are well along the path of being able to solve that problem, right? But I absolutely agree with you in that there's there's lots of opportunities where the system could fail, and designing it in a way that you can correct and recover for those failures anywhere along the line um, has been one of the most exciting challenges. Yeah, without a doubt, 
very challenging. Yeah. What are some examples of where people might see smooth streaming and some of the other technologies that you're talking about, like in action today? I think you mentioned a site a few minutes ago. Yeah, smoothht.com is the is the demo site um, that we've set up with Akamai, which contains actually a pretty good mix of content. Uh, and so that content is encoded uh, up to um, two and a half megabits per second for some okay. of the less m- less motion prone content, but some of the sports content, the really high motion content, it's going to go up to three megabits per second for, for the customers who have those types of connections. Okay. Um, and so you can see that's that basically gets us to 720p quality, which is HD as the as right. the name implies. Right. Um, right. And and so it's really interesting because before smooth streaming, it's been really challenging to be able to deliver HD effectively because such a small slice of the population has been able to support that high bandwidth of a connection. Um, and with net, the networks being, you know, they have glitches and maybe you're running a, a background process that you might not even know about. Right. Anything that interrupts that system is going to compromise the experience. Mm-hmm. So the nice thing about smooth streaming is that when you start delivering this HD content, right, even the customers who have that top bit rate will still benefit from having the ability to go down if their decoding horsepower decreases. I mean, often people will have a virus scanner or something that will come online, right? And so that doesn't interrupt the stream because, once again, it just seamlessly downgrades. If they suffer a network glitch, it'll just seamlessly downgrade, and then when the bandwidth becomes available again, it'll come back up. Um, but I, I would say that's, that's the best showcase and the best demo right now. You know what technology, and, and John, I don't know if you could speak to this necessarily, but multicasting. I mean, we always talk about unicast, yeah. uh, but multicasting never took off. And, and in the media space, isn't that a huge technology that would make a massive difference to us? Um, multicasting is, so I, I, I would, I would, uh, qualify your statement about multicasting never took off. Multicasting never took off on the open web. Right, that's true. Multicasting did take off in the enterprise. Um, and the challenge is that in order to multicast from any point to any other point, every router along the line has to be multicast enabled. Right. right. If you're an enterprise and you control your network, you can do that. On the web, unfortunately, there is more than enough weak links where trying to multicast to a broad audience has always been too unreliable um, to really be worth the effort. I wonder if when we finally get to IP, because I mean, my big problem with multicast is it came along after uh, IPv4 and so forth. And, and now with IPv6, I wonder if multicast is finally going to come into its own, even though we know that's years in the future. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I, there have been many attempts to communicate over other protocols or other channels or other ports. And the web keeps coming back to the same answer time and time again. Do HTTP over port 80. That's what's right. going to get between your servers and your customers. Right. So um, I, I, I'm not sh- I mean, I'm not going to take out any, any gambles on when other means of communication over the web are going to become as prevalent, as reliable, and as efficient. In a way, the web is optimized for HTTP over port 80. Right. And I'm really glad you asked the question because... Um, that's actually one of the one of the great things about smooth streaming, and one of the things that differentiates it um, from other solutions. I, I, I'm going to steal a quote from a colleague of mine, and the way they describe it is: In the past, we've tried to adapt the web for streaming. With smooth streaming, we've adapted streaming for the web. Right. So, what what we're basically trying to do 
is we're trying to make the streaming technology work with existing HTTP infrastructures, with existing routers, and existing caches. What's been really great about multicast, and, and what, what the reason why people are so excited about it, is that you send one copy of the data. Right. If you have one client, you send one copy. If you have 100 clients, you send one copy. If you have 1,000 clients, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Exactly. So you've needed very few servers at the origin of your system in order to be able to serve many clients. So with Smooth Streaming, what we're effectively doing is we're using HTTP and specifically HTTP caching to solve the exact same problem. Right? Um, before, when you had a streaming protocol, it's usually been a one-to-one communication with a server. So... Uh, the server sends you a packet of information, you decode it, you parse it, you render it, and then the server sends you another packet. And the <laughs> packets that the server sends you are applicable only to you. Right. What we've done with Smooth Streaming is we've basically defined a unit of media, a fairly natural unit of media, that caches really well. So once you've sent that, once the origin server has sent that unit of media to one client, right, that answer can be cached and delivered to any other client. Still separate network packets, but on the machine, it's it's the same data. On the machine, it comes back as the same data, right? Regardless right. of whether that data came from the origin server, the quote-unquote streaming server, or whether that data came out of their cache, or whether that data com- came out of uh, uh, an edge server in a content delivery network, gotcha. or an okay. edge server in their enterprise network. The idea is that once you have requested this, this piece of the stream, this particular piece of the stream, that answer is consistent, um, and that answer can cache really well. Gotcha. Um, and so, specifically, once we start thinking about what smooth streaming means as an enterprise technology, that should really help us a lot with our value proposition and to reduce the total cost of ownership, right? If you can use your existing HTTP caching proxy appliance to be able to effectively fan out, to be able to distribute that one signal from the server to many, many, many clients, that makes that, that whole solution so much easier to deploy. Definitely. It makes things a lot simpler. An interesting thought you had there around multicasting, which is in some ways it offloads the responsibility of the producer to have all the infrastructure to support the load they'd ultimately get. I mean, if you, if your streaming server only has one connection to the internet, you only ever need to send one copy of the stream out. And ultimately the network is the thing that branches it out to the thousands of users that are out there. The big, uh, so the big content delivery network. You yeah. put the weight on that, the on that network. Uh, but it's interesting. And when you're talking about content delivery network, you're not just talking about the Akamai's of the world, right? Um, well, when I say content delivery network, that's primarily who I'm talking about, right? Um, but in many ways, you can think of what many many enterprises do with, particularly with branch offices, right? And setting up caches and proxies in their branch offices mm-hmm. as, in a way, building a mini content delivery network within their enterprise. Sure. And so many of the same considerations apply. Um, it, it's just a very different relationship, right? Instead of writing a check to your, to your, to your CDN, it's, it's, uh, you know, IT infrastructure. Right. I have a thousand people in, in a, in an office in the United States and a hundred people over in the UK that need to watch a, some piece of content all at the same time, for example, then setting up servers on each end so that there's only actually one stream going over that probably limited connection between the two, um, but still allow multiple, multiple people at each location to be able to hook into those those edge servers and see the same content. That That's exactly right. Um, and so anything, you know, CDNs make it their business, content delivery networks make it their business to be able to distribute bits all over the world, 
right? Um, many enterprises want networks to just work and that they're as maintainable as possible. So all the considerations of how do we make the solution as easy as to deploy as possible, right, as self-correcting as possible, you know, when we talked about not having to implement your own bandwidth detection and the, the client-side algorithms just sort of self-correct, right, same story comes to when you don't need to, to, for example, configure a set of proprietary edge servers, right? How do we allow the existing infrastructure you're going to put in already to, um, to, deliver, to deliver this video traffic effectively? Right, right. Well, it's clear to me that the technology has come a long way since uh, eight or so years ago when I was uh, first starting to put that together and try to do these things, uh, kind of cobbling it together. It was great technology then, um, but clearly it's come a long way since. Yeah, and that's one of the most exciting things about the space is how quickly it evolves. Well, I think Silverlight's got to be a piece of that now. Yes, Silverlight Silverlight is a huge piece, and and Silverlight is, is uh, I'll just be honest, is an absolutely critical enabler of this technology. Right. Sure. So it's an interesting shift of where we're going. Uh, John, mm-hmm. uh, where can folks go to to get more information, to keep an eye out for uh, for the Adapt Streaming product to actually smooth streaming to actually ship and uh, and to keep in contact with you as uh, things progress? Sure. So I would I would check out my blog. It's at iis.net slash jboch. Um, and there's a post there that, you know, was aligned with the first announcement of the smooth streaming technology, and I'm going to continue having the conversation there about how the technology has has evolved, and I would certainly be glad to take any feedback or comments or questions or ideas that uh, that the viewers have, um, and uh, and hopefully address them and incorporate them into future versions of the product. That's great. Um, but but also any news will will likely appear there. Awesome, John. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank, you, Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.